from the power of the blood of the Passover lamb to an amazing Jewish testimony, all coming your way today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, let's make it official. Chag Pesach Sameach, happy Passover. Chag Sameach, happy holiday. But specifically, Chag Pesach Sameach, happy Passover. And this year, thankfully, Easter and Passover coincide. They are at the same time as they would have been originally. By Easter, I mean the time of the death and resurrection of Messiah, right in the middle of Passover. So a whole lot to focus on spiritually during this season. Michael Brown, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the line of fire. Remember to call 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. I will take some of your Jewish-related calls today. The bottom of the hour, I'm going to switch over to a special guest with an extraordinary testimony, a brilliant Jewish academic, a strong believer. We're going to hear from him at the bottom of the hour. But I want to focus first on a very sacred subject. Oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow. As God said many centuries ago, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The power of the blood of Yeshua. Exodus, the 12th chapter. Exodus chapter 12, as the children of Israel are about to be freed from bondage in Egypt, we read that God instructed the Israelites to take a lamb and to kill it and to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the the doorposts, lentils of the house. God said, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai, I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So there will be no plague among you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. So God was going to bring judgment on Egypt for their oppression of the people of Israel for so many years, for their hardness of heart and rebellion, for their idolatry. God was going to judge them, but the Israelites would be safe because of the blood of the Lamb. When you go down to Exodus chapter 24, Exodus 24, Moses reads to the children of Israel the, the book of the covenant, Sefer Habrit, reads to them further terms of the covenant God's making with Israel. It says, he wrote down all the words of Adonai, then rose up early in the morning and built an altar below the mountain along with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And it goes on, he reads the words of the book. And the people say in verse 7, all that Adonai has spoken we will do and obey. Then verse 8, then Moses took the blood. Why, Why blood? Because the covenant is made with blood. He took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which Adonai has cut with you in agreement with all these words. In ancient Jewish tradition, adds the words of atonement, the blood of the covenant for atonement. But notice the covenant is made with the shedding of blood. When you go down to Exodus chapter 29, Exodus 29, the consecration of the priests, 
a, a bull is to be slaughtered. Verse 12, then take the blood of the bull, put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and pour out all the remaining blood on the base of the altar. So the altar of sacrifice is consecrated with blood. Then verse 15, take one ram, have Aaron and his sons lay their hands upon the head of the ram, slaughter the ram, take its blood, sprinkle it around the altar. Then verse 18, 19, then take the other ram, have Aaron and his sons lay their hands on the head of that ram, slaughter the ram, take its blood, and dab it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, on the tip of the right ears of his son, on the thumb of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet, then pour the blood on the altar all around. So the altar, the altar of sacrifice is sanctified by bloodshed, by the substitutionary sacrifice, and the priests are consecrated to the Lord through this same blood. It's over and over and over. Oh, Exodus chapter 30, verse 10. And I'm just giving you a selection to show you how important blood was in ancient Israel. Exodus chapter 30, verse 10. Aaron is to make atonement on the horns of the altar once a year with the blood of the sin offering throughout your generations. It's most holy to Adonai. So there was to be a consecrating every year, a cleansing, a purging, an expiating of, of the very temple altar, the tabernacle altar, and the utensils involved, they had to be cleansed and purified because they were in the midst of a sinning people. That It would be like being in the midst of someone smoking cigarettes. You're surrounded by that. You smell like smoke. So the very tabernacle had to be sanctified and cleansed and consecrated, expiated. That was done with blood every year. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 16. It wasn't just the tabernacle that would be cleansed by blood. Look at this. Verse 14, this is Day of Atonement. He is then, Aaron, the high priest, is then to take some of the blood of the bull, sprinkle it with his finger on the atonement cover on the east side. Before the atonement cover, he is to sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he is to slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood behind the curtain, and do with it as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkle it upon the atonement cover and before the atonement cover. So he is to make atonement for the holy place, or to expiate, cleanse, the holy place because of the uncleanness of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. It's all done with blood. Cleansing, purifying with blood. Leviticus 17.11, then explaining why blood is not to be eaten. Leviticus 17.11 says this, For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives, for it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life. As Rashi, the foremost Jewish biblical commentator, said almost a thousand years ago, it is the principle of life for life. So here, the life of the animal is sacrificed, is taken to pay for the life of the sinning worshiper. It is substitutionary. It is life for life. The only thing that could cleanse and purify the temple and tabernacle was blood. The only thing that could be used to bring atonement was blood. And then coupled with repentance, God would accept. But without the blood, the foundation was missing. We go to Luke chapter 22. As Jesus is with his disciples, Yeshua at the Last Supper, he's about to be betrayed. And, and what does he say? Luke chapter 22, verse 30. He says, uh, just as my father's granted me a kingdom, so I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you shall sit upon thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And in this very same account, he has said to them, I'm not going to drink with you again until I drink with you in the kingdom. And this cup, this cup that I'm drinking, it is the cup of my blood, the cup of 
the new covenant of my blood. John chapter 6. Look at this. John 6, beginning in verse 53. Yeshua says to the Jewish crowd, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Obviously, speaking metaphorically, they were not to physically eat his flesh and physically drink his blood, but he's talking about the power of his sacrificial death, the power of his blood. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who eats of me also lives because of me. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. How does Paul characterize the price that was paid for the church, for the congregation? Acts twenty twenty-eight. Take care of yourselves and all the flock of which the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, has made you overseers to shepherd the community of God, which he obtained with the blood of his own, namely the blood of his own son. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, just reminding you of these things. We don't go through the verses enough. How much more then, having been now set right by his blood, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Jesus? Since the Messiah died for us, we have been set right. We have been justified by his blood. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes this, In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption, the removal of trespasses. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes this. And and again, the, the moment God saves us, we're washed, we're cleansed, we're redeemed, we're made righteous, we're set apart as holy. Our trespasses are removed. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off, Gentile world, you have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Hebrews, what a th- this is an amazing theme in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning verse 12. Jesus entered into the holies once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more, how much more shouted from the rooftops? Will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And what's written in Hebrews 9.22, summing up so much of what's written in the Torah. And nearly everything is purified in blood according to the Torah. So, so much of what was set apart, purified by blood. And apart from the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. The whole foundation of the atonement system in Israel was based in sacrificial offerings, in substitutionary offerings, in blood. Without that, there is no atonement. And ultimately, what's it doing? It's pointing forward to the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Boldness to enter into the holy place. How? By Yeshua's blood. Hebrews chapter 13. Verses 11 and 12. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place or the holies by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, to make the people holy through his own blood. Jesus made you holy through his own blood. Yeshua also suffered outside the gate. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says this. Now may the God of Shalom who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of an everlasting covenant, our Lord Yeshua, make you complete in every good thing. What does Peter say? First Peter 
chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. You know that you were redeemed from the futile way of life handed down from your ancestors, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with precious blood, like that of a lamb without defect or spot, the blood of Messiah. First John 1.7 says this, If we have fellowship one with another, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Yeshua purifies us from all sin. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, says that he is the one who freed us from our sins by his blood. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, all of creation sings it out. You are worthy to take the scrolls, to open its seals. You were slain by your blood. You redeemed for God those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Revelation 12, 11, the saints overcome Satan. How? By the blood of the Lamb. More than anything, word of their testimonies as well. By the blood of the Lamb. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Great to be with you on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday in the midst of the Passover season. God willing, we'll be with you live tomorrow. Christians celebrate what is known as Good Friday. We'll be taking your calls, as always, beginning to your calls right here in a moment. Well, how telling. I I gave a sampling, a small sampling of verses about the power and importance of the blood in Scripture and ran out of time in my segment, Revelation 12, 11, that the saints, God's people, overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, by not loving their lives even to the point of death. But, But notice, notice, Throughout Scripture, there is importance about the blood, and then there is often focus on the lamb. That's where we start in Exodus 12, that the blood of a lamb would be used in Passover. And when God saw that blood, he would pass over his people, and he would not destroy it. What does John the Immerser, John the Baptist, say in John 129 when he sees Jesus coming? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice he's not likened to a goat. You had goats that were sacrificial animals in in Leviticus. He's likened to a lamb. Lamb ties back with Passover. The lamb ties back with the larger redemption of Israel from bondage. And the lamb speaks of that image of sacrifice, of non-resistance. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5 Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little chametz, a little leaven, leaven's the whole batch of dough, get rid of the old leaven. So you may be a new batch, just as you are unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Mm -hmm. That's how he's spoken of there. Our Passover, meaning our Passover lamb, he has been sacrificed. And that reminds me of Isaiah, chapter 53, the poignant picture of the servant of the Lord who dies for our sins. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. So we've strayed like sheep without a shepherd. We've gone our own way. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So Adonai has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As for him, as for Yeshua, he was oppressed 
and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And I think back to the book of Genesis, as Abraham is being tested by God, would he be willing to sacrifice his son Isaac? And as they're going up the mountain, Isaac says to Abraham, his father, my father? Then he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, here's the fire and the wood, carrying the torch, and Isaac's got the wood on his shoulders, but but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Well, you know what happens as Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, believing that if he did, God would raise him from the dead. As he's ready to do that, the angel of the Lord cries out, no, 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 don't touch him. Don't, Don't touch the boy. Don't touch him. And then Abraham looks up, and there, stuck in the thicket, is rams. It's horn stuck. And Abraham goes and sacrifices the ram. What about the lamb? Whatever happened to the lamb? The lamb of God has come. The lamb of God has laid his life down for the sins of the world. And when we put our trust in him, Jew or Gentile, we are cleansed, we are washed, The internal vision that God gave me that radically changed my life happened December 17th of 71. As a Jewish rebel, as a kid full of sin, getting high, playing drums in a rock band, cruel-hearted, even stole money from my own father, liar, proud. God was dealing with me. Friends were praying for me. God was convicting me of my sin. I, I now believed that Jesus had died for me, but I wasn't willing to change. December 17th, 71, just in a little church service, worshiping with other Christians, I became flooded with the joy of the Lord, overwhelmingly flooded with the joy of the Lord and the revelation of his goodness. I had prayed and said, Jesus, come into my life, and I believe you died for my sins, rose from the dead, but I I didn't really mean that I would live for him or serve him. And I was under heavy conviction. And and suddenly I I saw myself as, as completely filthy from head to toe. I recognized that this joy was a reflection of God's love and was different than anything I'd ever experienced in this world. And and at that moment, I saw myself filthy from head to toe, just ugly, filthy, from head to toe. And the blood of Jesus washed me. I just saw this in my mind's eye. Wash me clean, completely, and put these beautiful robes on me, white robes, and now I was going back and playing in the mud. And right then I said, Lord, I will never put a needle in my arm again, and was free from that moment on. Oh, the blood of Jesus. He washes us white as snow. These Jews around the world are in a different situation because of the virus, because of the pandemic enjoying the Passover Seder in this time, which is so communal, and enjoying it just alone with small families, with large families that are under one household, under one roof. Let's pray that God would open their eyes. Let's pray that this would be a miraculous season of Jewish people turning to the Lamb of God. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Sally in Indianapolis. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes. Yes, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, yeah, I have a, a friend on Facebook that I really haven't seen for, you know, years and years, but he's Jewish, and um, he lives in Florida. He's divorced, managing depression. Um, he pretty much knows he's 100% bad. I mean, but, but he's a good person. I mean, you know. So I mailed him Sid Roth's book they thought for themselves Mm -hmm. and he acknowledged and he was polite but in other correspondence he thinks you know 
it's kind of like it's important to try to he, this is what he said it's important to try to invite whatever wisdom from prayers and other religious writings to comfort and renew us and so on so I don't think he even read the book um, I do know Jesus and he apparently believes I've told him that and he apparently believes that he and his family are, are heaven bound and I don't know what he's facing that on, and I'm not sure how I should follow up. Yeah, so Sally, I'm so glad that you have this open door with him. First, as I always say, like a broken record, pray for him in secret. Uh, people praying for yeah. me in secret cause God to deal with me in very real and ultimately public ways. So pray that God will get hold of him, pray that God will convict him of sin, make him realize his need. That's one thing. The other thing is... If he allows you, you can say, you know, I, I know you're Jewish and you may not agree with this, but you share your testimony. Here's what Jesus did in my own life, you know, and, and so on. And even if he says, well, that's fine for you. You know, you're a Christian. That's okay. We Jews don't believe this. Let him hear it. Let him, let him hear some of this. If, if the conversation keeps going and there's open, openness, go to the One for Israel YouTube channel. Just type in one for Israel and, and okay. look for testimonies. And you will find amazing Jewish testimonies, men, women from every background. Well done. Uh, I've got one on there. It's about nine minutes long. They just do a fabulous job. And, and if the dialogue continues, you can ask, hey, would you watch this? I, it's just a story, a Jewish person's story I think you might find fascinating. You pray for one that you think would be relevant. And if he shuts the door, he shuts the door. You know, you can't force someone. But he, he would be thinking that he's heaven-bound, just as most people would think, well, I'm pretty good. I would go to heaven, you know, or I, I'm not that bad. I have a good heart, really. You know, it's just the self-justification. Uh, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, Proverbs tells us. So that's not surprising that he feels that way. So you have to pray that God will convict him of sin, uh, help him to recognize his lostness, share your own testimony with him when it's appropriate, you know, just say, as a Christian, you know, so this way he doesn't feel that you're attacking him, you know, just your own life. And then if there's openness, see if, if, um, if he'll watch some of those testimonies. One for Israel on, on YouTube. And, and Lord, we pray for this gentleman that you'd use Sally to touch him, that you'd open his heart, you'd open his mind, change his life, save him and his whole family in Yeshua's name. Hey, thank you for calling and for your interest. Um... Let's see. Let us go to... Nope, we won't go there. Uh, Jonathan in Canada. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, how's it going, Dr. Brown? Very well, thank you. Um, so I thank you so much for uh, all that you've taught me about the Jewish people. And in a lot of ways, I totally agree with you. But I think on this issue, just meditating on it, I think I differ with you. Um, it talks about in Romans 11, the partial hardening on um, not all of Israel, but on the majority of Israel. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that partial hardening, and from all that I can think of, I don't think it's a blessing. I think oh, no, that's, cer that's certainly not a blessing, sir. It's uh, Romans 11:28 says that, that the Jewish people that reject the Messiah are enemies for the sake of the Gentiles. So by them becoming enemies... It's been for the good of the Gentiles who've heard the gospel. Oh, no, that's a terrible thing. That's something we so mourn over and we, you, we weep over. 
So would you agree then that the Jewish people, not as a whole, but you know the greater part of it, are under a curse? Because um, you know where did this partial hardening come from? And obviously, I think it's from them saying, uh, from denying the Messiah at that time. Well, no, it's it's not from denying the Messiah right at that time of the crucifixion, because Peter gets up and preaches in Acts three, and says you acted uh, ignorantly. Uh, you didn't know what you were doing fully. So repent now. It's been the ongoing rejection that has brought judgment. But God has supernaturally preserved the Jewish people. God has used the Jewish people in many unique ways. And his blessing is still on the people on a certain level. But then, yes, there's judgment on Israel on a certain level as well for rejecting the Messiah. And each new generation that rejects him perpetuates that. And, yes, there is judgment because of that, certainly anyone rejecting the Messiah is under divine judgment. Hey, out of time. It's an important subject. Fire we want, for fire we It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, I just saw a comment uh, from one of our viewers on Facebook. Say, viewers, yeah, for those that don't know this thing on radio, we do a live stream with video on Facebook and YouTube every day. And that's Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown, on Facebook or on YouTube. But yeah, uh, Teresa, read him Isaiah 53. In other words, this gentleman that this Christian caller is reaching out to, a Jewish man who doesn't know the Lord, asking for means to do it. Oh yeah, if, if he's willing to look at Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And I could have said that right up front, uh, but I didn't know that she'd gotten that far with him. But yeah, just to ask, hey, what do you think of this? Who do you think this is talking about? So... Really interesting situation in Israel. A few days ago, police started cordoning off roads to make it impossible for people to travel. So headlines reporting this. Israel police begin setting up roadblocks to enforce coronavirus closure over Passover because this is such a time of the year when everyone gathers together, when extended families come together. So they said, not, not this year. We've got to save lives. And again, the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel is hurting. Uh, they make up about 12% of the population, but are making up about 40 or 50% of the coronavirus cases being identified, at least as of a few days ago. Those were the stats. So they're having more funerals. They're, they're mourning. They're coming together. They're, and, and, and it's only small. Smaller groups are completely defying the bans, but others are complying. And anyway, this is... Um, <clears throat> Uh, i tell you what, quick update for everybody. Um, and Howard, appreciate your efforts here. We may have had a mix-up with our guest today, perhaps with shutdown and virus and everything, maybe time zone issue. But I didn't think I was going to have time to take any more calls. I didn't think I would. But I may have 20-something minutes to take calls. So here's the number to call. All right, now if we get our guest on, you're going to an amazing testimony. But if not... Phone lines are open right now. So 866-34-TRUTH. We cleared phone lines. There's nobody on. And now we have empty phone lines, which we don't have, obviously, normally. So if you want to call, perfect time. 866-348-7884. As long as it's a Jewish-related call. 
three, four, truth with your Jewish-related calls. Okay, so back to Israel. So I participated in a call yesterday afternoon with God TV, my friend Ward Simpson, former student from our school in Pensacola, and Ron Cantor, also a former student from a school on Long Island many, many years before, my colleague Scott Volk, Mike Bickle, uh, dear colleague, friend as well, Paul Wilbur. Uh, we were all on this prayer call, and it was, uh, it was on Facebook, so God TV's network, and Ron Cantor was in Israel with his family, and it was right during the Passover Seder. So he said, you know, this is kind of a unique time. This has never really happened before, but because everyone has to be in their home, that they did a live Passover Seder on the air. So everyone that wanted to participate could do it together. So maybe you've got two people in your home or four people or six people. You're all singing, praying together. But all of Israel that participated in this would have been doing it at the exact same time. Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting that that was happening. People shut in their homes just as they would have been right before the exodus from Egypt. Shut in their homes, covered by the blood of the Lamb. And then if they stayed inside their homes, they'd be safe. So here they had to stay inside their homes to be safe from the virus. <clears throat> May it be that hearts and minds are open to the blood of the Lamb. So there's a, there's a complete shutdown. You couldn't, you couldn't go out of your house and travel across the neighborhood from like yesterday afternoon, mid-afternoon until this morning. And it was not because the government's trying to be oppressive. It's because the government is trying to save lives. All right. <laughs> be patient if you're calling in because it'll take a, a moment to, uh, to get to all of you as we just, uh, sorry, Howard, just flooded the phone lines. One bit of interesting news, Kai, let's throw up that headline about the potential cure that's, uh, that's been discovered. Again, we shall see. But it says, uh, Israeli, this Jerusalem Post, Israeli COVID-19 treatment shows 100% survival rate preliminary data. And this is from yesterday. So, so look, there, there are many, many things that are being done. And the anti-malaria drug that President Trump has been pushing, that in combination with some other uh, uh, other medicines, that's proved promising. This may be very promising. There were people that were basically about to be on life support. If, if I mean, it was getting that bad, and then they've made recoveries or complete recoveries. We shall see. I remember a prophetic word by Tracy Cook, who had said that the first few months of this year, God was going to shake everything that could be shaken. So it's been a very intense shaking, obviously. And then uh, by mid-April, uh, April 15th or 16th, in conjunction with Passover, we come to the end of the first season of the virus, enter the second season, there'd be a diminishing, and there'd be some type of vaccine or cure coming from Israel. It was a little bit vague about that. Often prophecy is, is a little vague and becomes clearer as things come to pass. Sometimes it's very detailed. You have both examples in the Bible. But um, we shall see. May God be merciful, but may God wake us up May we wake up to everything he wants to do in this era. May that be the case. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to William in Greensboro, North Carolina. Thank you for calling the line of fire. Uh, yeah, thank you, Dr. Brown. Um, actually, uh, I, I just had a question, um, and it's, a, it's kind of in a two-fold uh, part. Uh, first, uh, I know, well, at least I've heard, when they uh, uncovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, it said that they had a complete translation of Isaiah. 
and I wanted to know if that's the truth. Is it does it match up with the Isaiah that we have in the Bible? And then the second part for that question uh, would be: uh, If so, um, why did the Essenes not think that Jesus was Messiah? Okay, so to answer the second question first, uh, Jews read Isaiah differently. In, in, in other words, the vast majority of Jews around the world, when they read Isaiah, they don't believe it's prophesying about Jesus. And what you have to do is try to see things from someone else's perspective. In other words, a Christian reads it and says, how can you not see Jesus? Then you sit down with a rabbi and they raise all the objections like, oh, I understand why you don't see that. Uh, that's why we have these debates and battles to this day. That's why I've been dealing with rabbis for, for 20, 30, 40 years and still haven't been able to convince them. Of course, we pray for God to open their hearts. Now, they would say they haven't been able to convince me, so it goes both ways. But having the whole book doesn't mean you're necessarily going to believe. Look, there, there are Christians who have the whole New Testament, and they have different beliefs about many different subjects, right? So it, it still takes the Holy Spirit to open someone's eyes. As to what was discovered, so it's, it's not a translation. It's an original copy in, in Hebrew of Isaiah. Uh, you have several Isaiah copies. The, the long one, the full book, is, is the Isaiah A, 4QA. Uh, so it's the fourth cave in Qumran and the scroll called A, the first one that was found. And this is the longest. It's the, it's, it's the book of Isaiah, but it is not a letter-for-letter letter copy because it was written in a different style where the spelling was, was, was done a little bit differently. So it's overwhelmingly accurate, but it was not a perfect scribal copy. You do have a shorter section, which is a 4Q Isaiah uh, B scroll. That's a shorter copy of only part of Isaiah, and that's virtually letter for letter, the same as what we have today. So we know it's been preserved with tremendous accuracy, and we know Jewish people in Yeshua's day had it with tremendous accuracy, but unless God opens hearts and minds, uh, people are not going to see what's written in the text. It's not like math, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4, there it is on the page. Uh, it must be, our hearts must be open to it. That's why people can read the Bible cover to cover and still be atheists, right? Or read the Bible cover right. to cover and, and then become, leave the faith to become a Hindu or, or a Muslim. So it's not just a mental thing. There's got to be a heart thing as well. And that's why we pray for God to open hearts and minds. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. You are very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Orlando, High Point. North Carolina, thanks for calling the line of fire. How you doing, Mr. Brown? Doing very well, thank you. Uh, my question deals with uh, God taking his lamb to the temple. Like, that before Passover, there is uh, like a time that you have to examine the lamb, something like that, like four days before he walked, he, I mean, God guided him right in on the donkey, fulfilling prophecy, into the Temple. That's when he came over and disturbed and turned over the tables and said, "I'm all right, a little bit." Well, yeah, I mean the chronology. Yeah, uh huh. In, in okay, terms of when, when the Messiah comes into Jerusalem, right? He makes his triumphal entry and then he cleanses the temple, right? So then it's over a one week period, basically. It's a, yeah, right before Passover, but people were supposed to accept the lamb or uh, uh, examine the lamb before killing and Passover. Something yeah, I, like that. I'm not. I'm not my. Yeah. Um, here. Here's, my question is. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I. I understand your your, your question. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to see how much people have made uh, uh, of this in terms of the examining the land. I, I would not stretch that parallel, sir. In, in other words, he was not a physical lamb. He was not to be inspected as a physical lamb. He was not sacrificed on a physical altar. He was the righteous son of God who, as a lamb, laid his life down for the sins of the world. So I do not believe this would correspond to a time when Israel could, quote, examine the lamb. They had been examining him for three years uh, as to whether or not he was the Messiah. And as people began to believe that he could well be the Messiah, that's when he began to speak even more against the leadership and expose sin all the more. So it's, it's an interesting concept. My view would be, though, it's, it's being pressed too far and uh, in terms of the gospel narratives and what traditions would have been at that time. But thank you, sir. I appreciate the question. I, I, love, I love when people have thought about an issue and it gets them to look at Scripture afresh and raise questions. Even if I differ with the conclusion, look, I've, I've done the same thing. Studied, studied. It's like, could it be? No, probably not. But you learn a lot in the process. So I love when people are wondering about Jewish background, tradition, or something else, and historical background, and, and it causes you to raise a question, even if it, it gets you in a dead end, like, okay, the answer is a negative answer. It's a great learning process, and it shows that we are studying, digging. 866-34-TRUTH. I will get to some more calls on the other side of the break. And again, let's keep praying for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that they'll come to know their divine shepherd, the Messiah, in a way they never have before, in these very critical days. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to... Thirdly Jewish Thursday on the line of fire. Happy Passover to you and tomorrow as Christians around the world begin to celebrate Good Friday and then Resurrection Sunday. May the Lord be glorified. May Jesus Yeshua be highly exalted in the eyes of the Jewish world, the entire world, and among his followers. May the world begin to turn to him in ways they never have before. Uh, I want to encourage you to go to my YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown. SK Dear Brown, and watch the dialogue I had with Nadir Ahmed yesterday. I'm going to tell you the whole story, the uh, amount of deception and lies that, that lay behind that that are now being uncovered. Uh, I, I, I feel bad for me. The Lord grants him salvation and repentance, and, and he makes Islam look bad. I'm sure there are Muslim leaders that have watched that, if, if they have, that are shaking their heads, just embarrassed by it. But in any case, watch it and share it with friends, Muslim friends too. Uh, you'll see it's our dialogue about Deuteronomy chapter 18. <clears throat> so I want to encourage you to do that. Also, we now have on our website my new book, When the World Stops, due out April 21st, When the World Stops, Words of Faith, Hope, and Wisdom in the Midst of Crisis. Now here's the deal. We, we want to be a blessing to you 
in this season, uh, however we can. The book is fifteen ninety nine with postage. It's like $20. But we want to just bless you with something worth $20 when you order it. So just give that right back to you. So when you order from our website, this is only on our website that you can do this. You can get the ebook on Amazon, of course. But it's right on the homepage, askdrbrown.org. You'll see a banner for the book. I, I proofread the whole book last night. It's maybe 170, 180 pages, a little longer than I thought it would be. Uh, I proofread it, and when I felt good about it, it's not just going to speak for today, but a month from now, a year from now, five years from now. I think you'll find it tremendously helpful. And we end with an exposition of Psalm 91 from the Hebrew text. But uh, when you order it on our website, okay, uh, we'll send you a signed copy. As soon as we get the print copies, we'll send them to you. But the day you order it, you'll get a code to download a $20 teaching series I did years ago on spiritual warfare. It's the best I ever taught it, so we just made it kind of a classic. About 12 hours of teaching. If you get it online, it's only $20, but it's our gift to you immediately. Say thank you, and we just want to put this right back into your life. So you'll get that immediately. You can enjoy that, listen to it. I think you'll find it very, very relevant biblically based, rich in scripture, spiritually practical, and the book will be a tremendous blessing to you. So go ahead and do that today on our website, askdrbrown.org, the only place you can get that special offer together. The new book, When the World Stops. All right, uh, let's go to Dave over in Utah. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Thank you for taking my call. Um, You bet. I have a question. I have some notes someplace, but I'll bear with me. I'm, I'm kind of interested in the um, concept of silence in Judaism. Forgive me if there's cars driving by. I had, I had to stop and pull over for this opportunity. Um, okay, sure thing. I, I know that you know the name of God is not pronounced, and I also noticed that in the Torah there's no mention of life after death. And I'm just kind of wondering... How does how does that concept of asylum? What does that teach us? What do, what do we what do we? I mean, is that a test of faith or I'm not sure. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. If I understand your question correctly, Dave. Uh, number one, the not pronouncing of the name Yahweh is a later tradition that that was not original. So in in, in Old Testament days, uh, certainly the name was pronounced, and then at a certain point in time perhaps close to New Testament times or thereabouts, it was considered too sacred to say the name, but otherwise it was certainly pronounced uh, for, for periods of time. We have no evidence that it wasn't. It just became a tradition over a period of time, and a traditional Jew will refer to God as Hashem, which literally means the name, but that's how they refer to him, Hashem. That's just the name they, they give to him. Um, so you can't draw too much out of the fact that it wasn't pronounced. Other names were pronounced. For example, Shaddai, which is normally translated as Almighty, we know that's pronounced because you have word plays. He showed me Shaddai Yavo. It will come as a showed a destruction from Shaddai. So we know that was certainly pronounced. Even when God's initially giving his name to, to Moses, if it was Yahweh pronounced like that, he says, Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh. I am who I am. And then Ehyeh is related to the same root for, for Yahweh, just a later form of it. So um, I, I wouldn't draw too much from that silence. But as for eternal life, it is not spoken of overtly in the Torah, but it's still there. Uh, Jesus, dealing with the Sadducees, explains to them uh, that 
they, they are mistaken because they don't know the scriptures or the power of God because when God says that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus says he's not the God of the dead but of the living for all live to him. Uh, it's also interesting, uh, the debate about Leviticus 18.5, where God says that if you'll keep my statutes and judgments, if a man does these, he will live by them. The Targum, which is the ancient Jewish translation and paraphrase of the Hebrew Bible that was read in the synagogue, so in places where Hebrew was not understood or where the language had changed some, the Hebrew would be read and it would be followed by an Aramaic paraphrase uh, translation, and that's called the Targum. And the Targum to Leviticus 18.5 says that he will live forever. He will have eternal life. So we don't know how early that was inserted as an understanding. Uh, But I don't think the Torah is intentionally silent about this as much as these things are hidden within it to be revealed later. And we know that the revelation of eternal life comes uh, progressively in Scripture. The, and, and final resurrection, these things become clearer as, as we go through Scripture. But thank you, sir. Uh, let us go to Pat in Raleigh. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. I'm calling Dr. Michael. Did you say to pray for the lost feet of Israel? Yes, absolutely, to pray for their salvation. Absolutely. Okay, just as, I, I just yeah. want to put it on my prayer list. I just want to make sure that's all I want to know. I'm writing it down. Oh, you thank you. Yes. Wonderful in God. You said, God, you're God sent. And I appreciate you. And I will be praying. I'll put this on my prayer list, okay? Oh, how sweet. Pat, just your voice and enthusiasm brings a big smile to my face. Yes, pray that God would save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Nina in California, thanks for calling the line of fire. Yes, um, hello? Hello, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, uh, Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom. Um, Pastor, uh, <laughs> uh, Shabbat Shalom. And uh, have a great um, Passover. Thank you. I have a question about uh, Ezekiel chapter 4 and 5. Is mm-hmm. that uh, literally, he says, whatever it says here, he did it, or it's uh, like allegories? Or... No, it's, it's very strange things that the prophet was told to do, but he did them as a sign. In other words, whether it was laying on one side or eating certain foods or building certain things or in Ezekiel 12, digging through a wall. Yeah, he literally did these things as a sign. And remember, he could only speak, Nina, when the Holy Spirit moved on him to speak. He couldn't speak otherwise, so he just, Ezekiel, what are you doing? And they might watch for days, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit would come on him and he'd speak. It's like, oh boy, this is from the Lord. Yes, so literally did those things as signs. Yeah, very interesting. Being a prophet's not not the easiest calling. Uh, Thank you. And do we have to, yeah, let's, let's go to Allen in Oklahoma. We've, uh, if we can dive right into this, we've got time for the call. Okay, thanks. Sure. I know just enough Hebrew to sound out the letters. Okay. I saw a video by a rabbi, and he was saying that in the first 
verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the first word is Bereshit. And he was saying this is bad Hebrew grammar. It should really say Barashah in the beginning. And his point was that the oral tradition says that God used the Torah to create the world. Have you ever heard anything like that? Yeah, well, he, you're mixing a, a few things that he said. Number one, okay. the, the Hebrew grammar is perfectly fine. Now, I'm not saying you're misrepresenting him, but just to be clear. Okay, there, yes, there are okay. Jewish traditions that says God created the world by the Torah, and the Torah was his blueprint, etc. So there are many Jewish traditions to that effect. Put that aside. That's totally okay. separate. As for the grammar, okay. the, grammar is, is the grammar is perfectly fine, and it's either to be translated, Breshit Bar Elohim at Shaman in the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth, and the okay. earth being formless and void, then God said, so you'll find that in numerous English Jewish translations, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, because they'll say the word reshit, the be that comes first, that's in, okay? And then reshit is beginning. So they would say that it's always the beginning of something, all right? So yeah. it's, it's the beginning of what? The beginning of God creating. Others would say, no, if okay. you look at the Septuagint, it says, NRK, so in the beginning, God created, or in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. So that's the Septuagint, the earliest Jewish translation into Greek. The earliest Targum that we have says, that uh, in the beginning, God created the Steinschaltz, one of the newest uh, translations of the Torah, Adin Steinschaltz version. He says in the beginning. So the grammar's fine. He's just kind of trying to find a way to explain the tradition, make it fit, which a lot of religions do. Back with you tomorrow.